Uh, one is the idea of bowing before God and the fact that we would give praise to him, give honor to him, that we would lift him up and talk about how great and how wonderful he is. And that's a lot of the way we usually think about worship. The Greek word for that is proskuneo, and it has this idea of bowing or kissing toward, this idea of humility and this recognition of his greatness. And so when we've talked about in the last couple of weeks about the sudden worship that overwhelms a person when they see God or they realize God is in their life, a lot of times it's like that. Peter in the boat full of fish. I mean, he suddenly is struck by the greatness of God in his own sinfulness. And so he realizes that his life doesn't measure up and he bows before God. And this last time we talked about humble worship and bowing before God and not being so proud that we would tell God about all the great things we have done and that we would more approach God from the fact that He can be merciful to us as sinners but also a recognition of the greatness of God. The other word that it uses for worship a lot of times is lutreo. Lutreo means a service that is done for someone. And so it is done on behalf of God or it is done for God. And so it has the idea of being done for God, but it's more it's not just a thinking thing or a realization thing. It's an actual thing that you would do because God wants you to do that. And so it's more the idea of a service that you would perform. Jesus emphasizes this a lot when he comes. There's a lot of teaching and understanding that he wants to happen. And he does show up at the temple and in the synagogue. But a lot of what Jesus does is this service type oriented worship toward God, which is healing the sick, feeding the hungry, uh, being there for people, raising the dead. Uh, all of these other things when we look at what he does. And so his emphasis is a lot of times when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. And it would be seen as a service to God. And God recognizes our efforts when we do worship him in those ways. The point is both of those are necessary. Both of those are needed. And I think there's some tension in our world of people who see their service to God and their worship to God as only being helping other people out. And that's the way they like to do it. They don't want to sit in a church building anywhere. They would rather be in line at a soup kitchen. They would rather be on a mission. They would rather be doing something that is in service to God. Both are important. And so today we want to talk a little bit more about the second one. And oddly enough, the scripture that Emil read to us in Romans 12 is not proskuneo, it is lutreo, it is the idea of service to God. And so when you read this scripture, I appeal to you by the mercy of God to... Okay, that's not the right... I don't know how we got way down there. Let's see if we can find where we are. 
That's not it. Okay. Maybe it'll stay still. I think it's you guys were wiggling too much and it made the slides jump. So, uh, no, seriously. When you look at this idea of coming before God to present your body as a living sacrifice, He is not being symbolic. It is not as if, oh, we would lay our souls before God. No, he means I want you physically to go do something. And that's the word that he uses here. It's not a, you know, a general spiritual thing. He says, present your body as a living sacrifice. Well, how are you going to do that? It would be holy and acceptable, but it's not a mental thing. And this just has, it is your spiritual Worship, which doesn't leave you with the idea that he's asking you to do anything about it. But that's actually what the passage is saying. I'm asking you to physically take your body and go do something that would be in service to God. And then he adds on to that, don't be conformed to this world. It's a transformation by the renewal of your mind. It's being able to discern the will of God so that this action that you're doing and the service that you're rendering is also transforming your mind into showing what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so as you look at the passage, that's really what he's trying to do. There is a way to serve God in our actions that would be present. There are several other versions of the Bible that translate this a little bit differently. And it is a little bit difficult to translate. So the NIV says, this is your true and proper... Okay. I don't think I'm doing anything. This is your true and proper worship. Uh, New American Standard, which is your spiritual service of worship. It has the idea of service in there and it being spiritual, which it is because it's done... Uh, in recognition of God and what God is doing. Uh, Being acceptable, God, which is your reasonable service, if you go back to the old King James. It doesn't even mention the word worship. It's all about service. And so, but it does carry both ideas. The Holman Christian Standard Bible says, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. American Standard, the old American Standard, which is your spiritual service. In the New Living Translation, holy, a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will, the kind that he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. And so there's a number of different ways in which this verse gets translated. What I wanted you to see is that all of them are trying to get at this idea of worship and service as it's combined together. And there are a number of passages in the New Testament that have this idea and that have this concept. And I think we either go one way or the other. We either say, oh, well, worship is more about sitting and praising God and and thinking about Him or praying and singing to Him or worship is, you know what, get out of the building and go do something. Go do something for somebody that would be useful for them because you are trying to serve God. And so... Both of these are important. Both of these are what should happen. Uh, And please don't argue about that. 
Sometimes it's done in direct service to God, like a priest who would be offering the sacrifice to God. Well, there's a service he has to perform in order to accomplish that. And some things are done for other people in the name of God. And so we would go help someone because we believe in Jesus, whether they do or not. But it is a matter of being Jesus to the world. And so we have mission trips to Thailand or El Salvador where people will go and try to speak about Jesus because of our faith here. And there are a number of different other ways in which we're able to show this. So there's a lot of Bible passages that have this concept as the center of of the passage. And this is one of those things that we need to learn to do both. One of them might be easier for you. I just find that with people. Some people are more physical about the way in which they would approach God. Some people it's more of an idea and a concept. Either way is good. Both ways are best that makes any sense. So let's look at a couple of passages that have this idea. In Matthew chapter 4, as Jesus is looking at the (laughs) temptations, uh, one of the temptations is him being taken to the pinnacle of the temple. And as he sits at the pinnacle of the temple, Satan says, throw yourself down and there's a scripture, angels will catch you. And Jesus' response to that, Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Jesus uses both words in the same passage. And so as he's thinking about this kingdom and worshiping Satan, his idea is, no, I would never do that. And so it's, be gone, Satan, it is written, you shall worship, bowing down before God alone. And then he finishes with, And God is the only one that you serve in worship because He's the focus of what you would do. And so everything that you would do becomes a focus to God and a worship to God. And so you shall worship the Lord your God and Him only shall you worship by how you serve. And so Jesus understood these and Jesus uses these. Sunday is usually to come and bow down before God. Uh, but then some people are going to teach also. And so they're going to be doing some things here. And in Jesus' own ministry, we can see a number of ways in which he does this. Good. Stay there. Matthew 10 is another passage. He says, Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous man because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And I say whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, 
Truly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. And so Jesus here is talking about the treatment of his disciples is very much like the treatment of him. And certainly there were prophets that were sent and there were people who were recognized to be righteous and they were leaders of God's people. And he says the way in which you take them is going to be the way in which you would treat me or the way in which you would treat God. And so the one who receives the prophet or the righteous person, and and you can read stories from the Old Testament about how prophets were taken care of by some people. And he says, you get credit for that. You get the prophet's reward because you were the one acting for service to him. And so that's one of the ways in which he describes this. He talks even about the righteous person or even giving a person a cup of cold water. Why? Well, because they need it. That's being a great human. Because Jesus would do it as being a great Christian. And so our actions toward people in need are because we believe in what Jesus is and we would follow Him and we would do Him. We would act on behalf of God. And He has made us able then to serve other people. I think it's important to realize that this is when you volunteer. Okay? Make sure we understand that. It's not when, okay, you got paid to do it. And therefore, now you get a reward? Uh, No. In fact, that just takes it away. If you got paid for it, then you've gotten your reward already. And the only way you get any credit from God is if you did an exceptional job of what you were paid to do and went above and beyond that. But if we go to the idea that we're going to be hired to do God's work, I think we've lost this whole concept of worship and service. And I see this more and more coming because it gets harder to get people to volunteer and to do things. Well, why don't we just hire it done? Okay. And we're going to go outside the church to hire it done, right? Or would we hire us? Which bothers me a bit because then it says, I would do more for money than I will for Jesus. Something about that bothers me. Uh, If we understand this concept and that there is worship and that there is service to God and that there is a way in which we are to be servants of God and do things for Him and that God responds to us and that when we do something for another person or fill a ministry or do something in a church or outside of a church for someone, it would be acting as Jesus did when Jesus did those same things. We've got to get this idea. Because Jesus is who we're supposed to be. And so it has this same concept. It's not an idea that we get paid for it. It's an idea that, you know what? What we really need is somebody faithful. Somebody who has absolute confidence in God and would do it with great faith. And that ought to be so much bigger than the person who just gets paid for it. I guess I've been able to see this a lot of times in my life. Um, 
And one of those that stands out the most, I guess, is in the time when you're traveling back and forth from home to college. Of course, home for me was up in Alaska, college being in Abilene, Texas, and it's not an easy time in between there. And it was easier for the flight, but then I got a car, and it takes six days back then to drive that far. And so my parents said, you're going to stop in McCook, Nebraska. Okay, why am I stopping in McCook, Nebraska? Well, because there's a guy there named Don Hampton. And Don Hampton happened to be the preacher in McCook, Nebraska. I said, well, did you just, you know, single him out as a random preacher in the middle of the world that, you know, somehow you would go see? No, uh, we know Don Hampton. And so my parents had known him before, and actually I knew him too. I remembered him. And Don Hampton was one of those college kids who has gone from Abilene, Texas, back when he was in school at Abilene, and gone and worked with my dad for a summer in Ketchikan, Alaska. Okay, so there's a connection. They worked together, and they were doing things in the church, and so he was one of the people, and we happened to know him, and it's, oh, he'll be glad to see you, just go stay with him. Don't you think we should warn him? <laughs> and I'm sure that they did. I don't remember that part of the story, but yeah, it was expected, it was automatic, it was understood, and we found out, oh, sure, come on by. Not a problem. Why? Because we work together. We work together in the Lord for what God wants done. And so you see those kind of connections a lot. I have some of those with people here. Jerry's here today. Gene and Mary Ellen are here today. We share lots of history with that. Pete and Mary are here Lots of history about working together with people from way long ago and other places and other times. And there's just a special connection there. I also found out that Nancy's aunt during that same time period was up in Anchorage, Alaska. It was a place I was going to be and she met people that I would know later. And then we find out many years later that, okay, we have been there and worked in the same place. And sometimes it just brings you back to all of these connections that you have. And one more. This coming summer, we're going to send Landon Ubrig to Wasilla, Alaska. So I guess he'll meet the people that I've known before. And it just seems odd. There's connection after connection after connection after connection. And anytime you're working in the Lord's kingdom, you're going to find all of these different people and all of these different ways and all of these different blessings that we're able to have in Christ. And I just find it incredible. My life seems to be imploding here in Mesa with all of my past people that I know. And that's a good thing, by the way. A couple more passages. Matthew 25, Jesus tells a parable about judgment, really. 
and it's not in James. Matthew 25 says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory with all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne before Him and will be gathered to all the nations. He, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. And the King will say to those on His right, Come, you are blessed of My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Jesus says that personal relationship, and I understood when you did it to the least of these brothers of mine, you did it to me. It was people who were in service, to the other people in the family of God. There's a separation between sheep and goats. And if you look just at this passage, you might be getting the idea that the judgment is going to be about stuff that you did. And Jesus brings it up. Here's what it looks like. I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. Stranger, and you welcomed me naked, and you clothed me sick, and you visited me prison and you came to see me and the righteous didn't even know that they had done it we, we didn't do that for you yeah but you did it for other people and because you were Christian and because they were brothers the connection is made there this is not just a thing to the world of saying we're going to help everybody this is a connection of brothers when you did this to people I know that are people of mine, you did it to me. And so acting for the benefit of someone less fortunate is worship to God. And God recognizes it. The other one we see a lot and perhaps uh, is one of those picked out is from James 1. Verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the orphans and the widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Okay, wait a second, we just got a whole new criteria of what religion is and what judgment is. And what is it we're supposed to do now? Well, now he says, keep your mouth shut. Well, you know, that's hard enough. But he says, also, I want you to be able to visit people who are less fortunate or people in need, people who are orphans and widows, apparently afflicted ones. He says, that's where it is. And he's describing this same idea of a service that we would do because we know Jesus and because that's important. And so all of these have in common the same type of idea. There is a way in which God sees and understands and knows and accepts the worship of people 
who would do good things for others. There's also the other side. But I think we can see this way. He says this is what's important. And so there are a number of things that we do in order to serve. There are a number of things that this church is involved in. We're involved in teaching in a lot of different ways. Whether you're teaching kids, whether they're in the village or toddlers or whether they're adults, that's a great thing that you're doing to be able to do in service to God. There are a number of different things that happen. One, And I only pulled off one picture. We had a team in El Salvador this last week. Pretty good. Tim and Linda are sitting there. Not that I would point out Tim and Linda. But this is a little bit of a different setting for meeting and trying to meet some needs of people with education in their children and trying to help the church there and being able to do something. And so there are mission trips. Ken is in Thailand. These guys were in El Salvador this week. There's a harvest festival that we put on, which a lot of you guys come and do. It's an outreach to the community. It's important. There's a pantry that's open on the second Saturday of the month, and some of you come and help with that, as well as other times when that happens on a daily basis. Edison at times takes meals and goes and feeds the homeless, and so he will be involved in that. If you would like to be involved in that, talk to Edison. Some people are visiting hospitals and other people who need it. Some people are inviting people to church and having studies with others. And some people are helping at youth events and just trying to get kids from one area to another. Sometimes it's Bible Bowl and come about March, Brad's going to be asking you guys, well, can you keep some kids? We've got, and that's truly a service to God, okay? God gives you credit for any time you work with teenagers. There ought to be something there. LTC is going on right now. I mean, it's one of those things that we're training young people to do some things as well as the notes and the encouragement and the phone calls and the emails that we're able to do. And Vacation Bible School, that's always amazing how you can take a bunch of people, put them together and tell the story of God to our community and to other people. What I'm trying to say is none of that's lost. None of that's wasted. Even if every part of the effort that you did, nobody said thank you for. There's one person who would say thank you. And that's Jesus. And isn't that where you really want it to come from to begin with? And so we may try and encourage, we need you to be involved in church. That's really not the case. The case is you need to be involved in church. Because that's what it does for you. And it's the benefit to you that God would bless. Because you are involved in doing something that is difficult, that is a little bit hard to do, but it also builds relationships like nothing else. There are some times when we've done VBS and done different things that 
I'll still remember. And I started to put pictures up here and I thought, nah, you guys don't know them anyway. But if I see him again, it's automatic. It's something that's there. And I guess one of the ones that was maybe the most telling is Joel was taking a trip to Arkansas and he needed a place to stay along the way. So I've got a few seniors and juniors and I'm trying to find a church that will let him stay somewhere. Okay. Again, random call. Can you guys put us up? And he happened to call a place called the Church of Christ at the Colonies in Amarillo, Texas. And the secretary was like, Mesa, Arizona? And she's like, wait a minute, who's the preacher there? And he said, well, Terry Singleton is the preacher there. She goes, if he's the preacher, you guys come on. And it's just one of those... Sorry. One of those really weird things, because back a couple of years ago, when I first started preaching, a little place in Burlington, Colorado, I was 23. Sandy was 16. And she was in the youth group. Youth group had maybe five kids. She is now the church secretary of the Church of Christ at the Colonies. Well, I was much older than her. Seven years. And somehow that seven years has gotten closer together. And I know, if you're doing the math, it's been like 45 years since I've seen her. We get close to people when we are involved in the work that God has for us. If you aren't doing that, or if you're lonesome, or if you're feeling like nobody cares, that is the way to do it. It's not just saying we need volunteers because we need volunteers because we want volunteers. It is something God will give you as a blessing. And those are lasting relationships. And it's kind of indescribable. Anytime I am around the, and I don't know what to call them, the Alaska old timers, there's a special bond that goes there. Because we went through some things together. I was a kid, but I was there. And people remember the ethic, the code of what it was like back then. I don't know if it's still there or not, but I do know it's there in God. And so it's one of the ways in which worship becomes most meaningful when you're able to connect like that. The last one that talks about work is from Ephesians chapter 2. And it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one may boast. 
For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're saved by grace. And this passage is very clear. We're saved by grace. Even in spite of the other passages that we read that talk about judgment being a matter of visiting orphans and widows or judgment being a matter of giving a cup of cold water. Yes, all of those are true, but the way in which you get rid of sin is grace. And while God rewards all of those other things and makes relationships with all of those other things, the way in which we are saved is by grace. And it's not a result of works. There is nothing we do or can do in order to get it. We enter into grace by faith. And our faith response to God at that time is baptism. And that's how we get to accept the grace of God for our life. And so it is that that seems to bring this grace of God upon us. But I want you to notice the last part of this. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so the result of salvation by grace is the things we would do for other people, is the cup of cold water, is the visit to a widow. We are created as new creatures and God has prepared us so that it's not just boring after that. It's not just about sitting in a church building. It's not just an hour a week. It's about being able to send an email or write a note or visit someone or become involved in some of the things that are going on. God prepared that we should do good work. And it's for our own benefit that we would walk in them. And those things build such relationships. And so we serve. I found this man cannot fully find himself except through a sincere gift of himself. And we would have a gift of Jesus. And there is a gift of love in that that is just beyond description. So this morning, if you don't have that grace of God in your life, if you don't have that salvation, let me encourage you to do that. The baptistry is here. We can take care of that easily. And let me also encourage you that in the way you treat other people, that they would truly see the love of God being given to them. It's one of the great things that we do. And one of the great joys that we have is being able to sing together and to praise our God.